sure what she's going to do. She loves to sing. She loves singing with us. And uh, she's starting to pick up more and more words on songs. And uh, sometimes she just sings her own thing. I think that's kind of what she was doing there. <laughs> but thought, get, get them started early and it uh, should be pretty good by the time they're older. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Well, it's been a little over a year now since we've started, and uh, I think that you know, I've cause we've been you know we've got a couple of visitors here with us today, but I think I I feel like I'm getting to know y'all pretty well. I think you all are hopefully getting to know me well. And uh, one thing that um, I I think I know from knowing you, you all aren't uh, you know easily offended. Uh, you know, you got good attitudes. You're good sports about things, and I think that I'm pretty I'm pretty safe when I say I could probably. I feel like I can preach what my, many might call a mean message, uh, you know, without offending people. Right? And um, I, I personally, I don't, I don't believe in mean preaching. Right? I don't, I don't think you ought to be mean when you preach. Now, there's a lot of things that you preach that when you preach it, people are going to say you're mean just because it's it's hard stuff. And I, I don't believe in being mean spirit or anything like that. But I'm going to, we're going to look at a passage of scripture. 
that I think when you see it, it is so clear that it is, I mean, it is a very clear look at churches today and what we're seeing today and something that we need to avoid and what God says is actually really neat. I mean, it's, it's kind of harsh what God said, what Jesus is saying here. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of mean things in the Bible. I was talking to a lady one time and she was like, you know, I just, she's like, I hate name calling. I don't think we ought to do name calling. And I was like, well, I said, you know, John the Baptist, he called people names. Uh, I said, or, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, I, I love what he says to the Pharisees. Now, he's talking to religious people here. You find out in the Bible, I think if you're, if you're going to make an exception for being mean to people, it's okay with religious people. Because uh, we see they're always mean to them. But he said, but uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers! Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Call them a generation of vipers, snakes. That's pretty mean. Alright, usually when you call somebody a snake, you're not giving them a compliment. And he called them a generation of vipers, and he was like, Who hath warned you? Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? God's mad at you, he's after you. Who warned you? And he said, Bring fruit, or bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. He told them, You need to repent. You vipers? I'm not I'm not gonna call you all vipers today, but John the Baptist, he did. He was, I mean, he was mean. John the Baptist, he wasn't scared. He went to Herod, the king, and he had taken his brother's wife. And he looked right at Herod and said, it's not lawful for you to have her. And Herod, I think he kind of, he actually, we see in the Bible, I think he kind of respected John, but Herod's wife, well, she got mad. She got really mad. And she ended up getting uh, her daughter when she danced before Herod to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Because he made her mad when he called out her sin. She didn't like that at all. Another one I mentioned, I was like, I was like, you know what? Jesus, Jesus called people names. Jesus, Jesus would call somebody names. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter twelve, verse thirty-four. If you think John the Baptist maybe crossed the line there, well, I think we can see here in this passage he didn't, because Jesus said, "O generation of vipers." How can ye being evil speak good things? He told he called he called him the same thing. And then he went a little farther and he said, How can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And then in uh, Matthew twenty three, thirty three he said, Ye serpents, ye generations generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Well, that was kind of mean, wasn't it? I mean, just calling them names. Calling them, telling them, and like, how are you going to escape the damnation of hell? He told these folks, you are on your way to hell. And they were, they were a bad group. They were religious. And listen, uh, the apostle Paul. I like this one. This one, I think this one's pretty good. Um, in Acts chapter twenty-three, we're not going to take time to read the whole thing, but you ought to read that passage. It's an interesting passage. Paul's talking, and he's talking to the high priest, and he didn't know it was the high priest, and he called him. A whited wall, which I thought was funny. Basically, saying he looked you know good on the outside, but on the inside he was bad, and he, he insulted him. And when they they called him out on it for you know insulting the high priest, and he's like, I didn't know it was the high priest, and they were mad, and they were ready to go after him. And then he went and he made a comment about you know the resurrection, knowing that there were Pharisees and Sadducees in there, and he knew that the Pharisees believed in a resurrection. Uh, and but the, the Sadducees didn't, 
And he got them all fighting with each other, and it kind of helped him get off the hook a little bit. It, it, pretty neat passage, but it was pretty mean. He called the man a whited wall. That would be like us. You know, we call people things like, you know, hypocrites or two faced, things like that. But probably one of the meanest things we see said to somebody in the Bible, once again, this is to a religious group, it's to a church, it is said to the church of Laodicea. In Revelation chapter three, now uh, Wednesday when we were we were talking about the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation, and when you study the seven churches of Revelation, many many Bible uh, scholars believe this, and I, I tend to agree that each one of these churches represent they they were actual churches that were there. They were churches that were in Asia, churches that probably John started himself, but they also represent. Seven different periods of history in the church. You can kind of, you can kind of see the way these churches were, the way they're described is the way churches kind of in general were throughout different points in history. And there's really only two churches that um, God that Jesus didn't say anything against. One of them was the second church uh, that was mentioned that represents the time when Christians were being persecuted and put to death. And they stayed faithful to God. They would not deny Christ. And they died uh, being faithful and doing what uh, God wanted them to do. He didn't say anything against them. Also, another group, uh, church he didn't say anything against was the Church of Philadelphia that represents a period of time from about probably the 1700s to 1900. Which, if you know much about church history, some of the greatest revivals in the world took place during that time. I mean, the church was great then. And then, 1900 on, things started changing pretty quick, and we get into the Laodicean church. And I believe that I believe this church it was an actual church that was there, but I also believe it represents just churches in general today, the day and age that we live in. And when we see what the way this church is described, I think it will I think it'll be familiar to most of you here. But it says in uh, chapter 3, verse 14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, that the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, uh, but because, uh, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. Now, a more modern day way of putting that, what does that mean? It was spewing them out of the mouth? It means throwing up. It means throwing up. We all know what that is. Uh, Jason, I could tell all kinds of stories about Jason right now. I'm not going to do that because you know we're probably all wanting to eat lunch here in a little while. But that's uh, usually when you throw something up, I mean, it's because you know something's wrong. There's something in it that makes you sick. I mean, if you've ever had food poisoning before, uh, that's not a pleasant experience. I mean, it's like there's something in there, and boy, it'll just it'll mess up your stomach. I remember one time I ate a uh, it was a Polish sausage loaded with onions and things. Man, it was good. I ate it at a fair. I ate it right before riding a bunch of spinning rides. Huge mistake. <laughs> Huge mistake. I didn't spew it out of my mouth. But I came close a few times, and it was not—it was not a pleasant experience. And Jesus said, "He." And the reason for that is, He said, "Because you are lukewarm, you're not cold, and you're not hot." When I think about cold, that's somebody that's just—that's that, somebody that's just cold. 
to the things of God. There are some people, if you try talking to them about church, they don't want to hear about it. They're not interested. Uh, they're they're cold to that. I don't I don't want to hear that. Uh, I'm not I'm not interested. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And they got people who are hot. I mean, that's people. They're they're all in. Boy, they, I mean, they're in. They're excited. They're 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 thrilled to be a part of the things of God. They're I mean, they're just on fire. They're wanting to get something from the Word of God. They're they're thrilled to death about church. And but lukewarm, kind of in the middle. Yeah, I, I like church. I, I'm a Christian, but. Ah, you know, it's I'm not one of them fanatics or anything like that. You know, I just you know I I I go to church when I can. You know, I I do what I can for God. You know, I I don't go to any extremes or anything. You know, lukewarm, just comfortable. And God said, He said, I would that thou were cold. Why would God say that He would rather that you were cold or that you were hot other than lukewarm? I can understand why He'd want people to be hot. Other than you know, over lukewarm, I can I, I get that, but why cold? And I got the you know, and I I thought about it, and I got I got to thinking about it, and really, when somebody, one of the hardest things when it comes to winning people to Christ is trying to convince people that they're not saved. We heard the missionary last week. Remember how he said, "You didn't have to convince me that I was a sinner." You know why? Because he was cold. He was real cold. He was a Satanist. I mean, he was involved in all kinds of things. He was in gangs and everything. He knew he was a sinner. He was cold, and because of that, he was. You know, when the gospel got to him, I mean, he he received it and was able to get saved. And I've talked to many people like that, and you'll talk to them, and they 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 know that they're sinners. But then there's there's those other folks that you talk to, and really, this is the majority of the people you talk to them, and you know, you'll ask them, "Hey, if you died today, do you know you'd spend eternity?" Well, I think I'd go to heaven. Why do you think you'd go to heaven? Well, I, I go to church. I've been a pretty good person. You know, I'm, you know, I, I've been baptized. I've done this. They'll start talking about the things they've done. They're not really sure. And you listen, you and I know that that's not what saves you. And they're, they're, it's hard to convince them that they're saved. You know why? Because they're lukewarm. They don't feel bad because they're cold, because they're out of church, because they hate God, because they're in Satanism. They're they're comfortable with where they're at. You know, I'm fine. And when you go and tell, them, hey, you need to give your heart to Christ. You need to repent of your sins. I mean, that's a challenge there. I don't want to do that. That sounds uncomfortable. And people don't want that. Many people today they don't want to go to church because I'm, they'll, they'll say things like, I'm just, I'm not comfortable in church. And many pastors have done things like this. Many churches, well, you know, they've done surveys and things. You know, why don't you feel comfortable in church? Well, you know, everybody's all you know. They dress up for church, and uh, you know, and they, uh, you know, the preacher yells too much, and uh, you know, they'll say these all these things that make them uncomfortable. And so churches have said, you know what? Let's make it comfortable. You know, the you know what's. Uh, you know, we call—I like to call them—you know—the coffee shop churches. You know, everybody comes and they just—they all drink their coffee and they have their little social gatherings. And the preacher gets up and luckily they use any verse in the Bible and they just all talk about things that make them feel good. Y'all are just—y'all are wonderful people. Y'all are—y'all are great. Y'all—y'all are special. Jesus loves you. You're so wonderful, and that—that's all they talk about. And you know, and that's true. 
Uh, to a certain extent, but you're, you know, with the exception of us being good people, we're all dirty, rotten sinners. Whoa, that made me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to hear that. And so you've got these people, they're going to these places where it's all this comfortable stuff. And they are hearing so much of that, and then to try to convince them that they're not saved is almost impossible. And they, they are comfortable with where they're at. You try to challenge them, they don't want to do it. They don't want to move on. They don't want to advance. And they may even be saved. But you know what? God wants us to grow as a Christian. He wants us to do more for Him. People don't want to change anything. They're comfortable with where they're at. They don't like being challenged to do extra things. And that makes God sick. He said, because thou art neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. They were comfortable. Also, they were content. In verse 17 it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This church, they looked at themselves and they're like, you know what? We're doing good here. You know, our church, we're doing good financially. You know, we're paying all the bills. People in the church, we're all doing good financially. You know, we're driving nice cars, we're wearing nice clothes. You know, we got all the new, latest, and greatest cell phones. You know, they all, everybody already has the iPhone five at this latest. See, in church, just came out. They got everything. Why do I need God? Listen, I'm telling you, I do a lot of door knocking and I do a lot of try witnessing to people. And listen, I believe in going for. I believe in going after everybody. I don't discriminate. I go after everybody, but one group that's really tough to talk to are the rich folks. <laughs> not against rich people, not at all. But you know, you go try and tell somebody who's got a super nice house and got all this money in the bank and got all these nice cars, just got everything going for them. You try telling them that you need that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor and blind and naked. I don't come out and say it like that, but the truth is, if they don't have Christ, they are. They're still in their sins. They haven't been covered by the blood of Christ. Spiritually, they're naked. Spiritually, they're poor. They've want, they, right now, they do not have their soul secure, which is the most valuable thing in the world. But you go and try to convince them of that, it's really, really hard. Because they look at themselves and they're comfortable. You know when you get most people to come to Christ? It's when they're at a low point in their life. Maybe when they've lost everything. <clears throat> Maybe... When uh, they've lost, maybe a family member's died, and then uh, whenever things are going bad, all of a sudden, that's when people kind of wake up and start looking when they realize they need something. But this Laodicean church, they had all the material things going for them. They were they they looked at themselves and said, "We have need of nothing." And Jesus thought completely different. He looked at them and said, "You're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind naked." They they didn't even know they were miserable. And their their existence was completely pointless. They were doing nothing for God. This church was obviously very bad, and they needed they needed to change. He said in verse eighteen, "I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest." See, God wanted me. He said, you need, you need something. Your eyes need checked. You need to anoint them with eyes that you're not seeing things clearly. You folks are in terrible shape and you can't even see it. 
And you need to pray and ask God to show you what's wrong. And I'm here today to tell you that if you honestly and you sincerely, you go to God in prayer and you spiritually anoint your eyes with eyes that and you say, Lord, show me what's wrong. Show me what I need to do. I'm telling you right now, it's be careful because you ask God and He's going to show you. And He'll change your life. And that's the whole point. We're supposed to be changed people. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be growing in Christ. But there's going to be some things that we got to get rid of. There's some things, and people, they just want to ignore it. I remember several years ago, you know, um, my wife and I, we were going through some tough times financially. And I remember one day, uh, the question was asked, or it's like, I got to things like, you know, I don't even know how much debt I have right now. And I didn't really want to know. And I remember, I didn't, you know, I was reading some things about finances and trying to help myself out and about, uh, you know, doing a budget and things like that. I'm like, yeah, we don't have a budget. I don't even know how much debt I have for sure right now. And I remember I went and I sat down and I was like, all right, I'm going to go add it all up. Oh, that was uncomfortable. I didn't like that. I remember I got done. So I was like, oh, oh, I felt sick. I didn't want to see this. But here's the thing. If I would have ignored it, it still would have been there. And it would have only gotten worse. And I remember we decided right then and there, we're like, okay, we, we wrote that number down on the calendar. And we decided that every month was like, for right now, we just got to make sure this doesn't go up anymore. At least we want to make it go down every month. And every month, at the end of the month, we'd write the new number on there. And every month it was going down. It was going pretty slow at first. But we, we got serious about it. And it was hard. And we, uh, we started doing a budget. I remember we was like, we, got, we need to figure out where our money's going. And we started, we sat down, we did a budget. And the reason doing a budget is so depressing, the reason people don't want to do it, is because we never have enough money coming in to do all the things that we want to do. And, and it's like when we do a budget, you have to admit that to yourself and stop spending things you know, with money that you don't really have. And we did that and it was not fun. My wife's like, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to hear about it. It's like, we got to do it. So we got to figure this out. It's only going to get worse. And that's how people are with their lives and where they are spiritually. They don't want to know where they are because whenever, when you find out, just like when we found out where we were financially, like we're going to have to change some things. We're going to have to start doing things different. And it's not going to be easy. And it wasn't easy. And thank, you know, thank the Lord we got it under control. And it took us, uh, I think it was 26 months. I think it was a little over two years. And we paid it all off. And we got things back in track, but it wasn't easy. But you know what? When we got it all taken care of, boy, that, I can't tell you what a great feeling that was. It was a huge relief. It was a huge load off. Our mind, our mind. I mean, it, it, it was great. And it's the same thing too. When you get a look at yourself spiritually, God's going to show you things like, that's going to be hard. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can get, get this sin out of my life. But I'm here today to tell you that when you do, it won't be easy. It'll be difficult. But when you finally get victory over it, you're going to look back and you're going to be thrilled to death that you did it. God's going to give you peace. Things are going to be better than they ever were before. And this church needed to do it, but they couldn't see it. God said you need to anoint your eyes with eyes have that you may see. And this church, but they it just it it literally sickened God. He wanted. He said, "I I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will throw you up 
what you're doing is making me sick. And I that and it was just being comfortable. Listen, I'm all for being comfortable. I hope I hope our pews in here are comfortable. I hope you know I you know we try to keep the you know, temperature to comfortable. I'm fine with with that kind of thing. But spiritually though, we don't want to get comfortable. We we ought we ought to be intense, and we ought to, we need to realize that hey, there are folks in this community that need Christ. We need to, we need to bring people to Christ. Hey, we need to be we don't want to be comfortable. And where we are as Christians, we need to realize that hey, I have an important role to play in seeing people saved. I better make sure that I'm living like a Christian, that I'm acting like a Christian, that I have a good testimony. I need to make sure that I'm serious about keeping the sin out of my life because God's not going to be able to use me as as well if I have sin in my life. God God's not going to hear my prayers like He would if I if, uh, if I had things right with Him. And I need my prayers answered. I need God to do some things through me and we're serious about it. We don't let ourselves get comfortable. And that's what had happened here. They just they got comfortable. And you've heard people say many times, I, I, I don't want to go to church. If I went into church, you know, the roof would fall in on me. You know, and why did they say, you know, why did, they know the roof's not going to fall in on them? But you know what? They're just, they know that when they walk into a church, that it's called conviction is going to come on them. They're going to start feeling bad about all the things they've done. And listen, we're not we're not here just on purpose trying to make people feel bad. But you know what? When you preach on sin and when you Bible, it's going to convict. Can't help it. And that's fine. And that's wonderful. And folks are doing whatever they can to avoid that. And there are churches that come. They've made it their mission to make sure nobody ever gets convicted. Nobody ever feels bad. There was a lady that came to this church one day and I preached a message about conviction. And she's like, you know how long it's been since I've heard a message that was convicting? And I thought, man, you know, it's too bad. And she liked the church and everything, but... She has a lot of family in other church and basically told me they don't preach convicting messages there, but that's where my family goes, so and you know it's fine, but boy, we ought to get convicted sometimes. It's we need that conviction. We need God to speak to our hearts. We there's things that we need to get out of our lives, but that doesn't make me comfortable. Well that's not why we're here. That's not the way it's supposed to be. There's as a church, you know, we uh, you know we ought to be as a pastor, I'm supposed to be challenging you. You ought to be challenging me. We ought to be challenging each other to do greater things. We don't want to get in that comfortable position. I talked to a guy one day, and he was talking, and this guy, you know, he, he was one of these fellows that just had a mouth. I mean, that was just terrible. That uh, if, you, if he was on TV being interviewed, uh, you wouldn't have been able to hear a whole lot because he'd been beeping everything out. His language was so bad. And I remember he said talking, you know, and usually what I, all I have to do to kind of help with that, you know, I'll just somehow get into the conversation. I'm a pastor of a church, and then they kind of wash their mouth a little bit. But I remember I, I said something about it, and he's like, "Oh, it's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know." And then we start, you know, we're talking about other things, and he kept catching himself cussing. Oh, sorry about that. You know, he was just so used to doing it. I mean, just a pretty rough character. And I remember he's, he's like, "Yeah, I go to church." And he starts telling me about his church. He's like, "Yeah, my church. Um, it's like, it's like, yeah, I love it. It's like our pastor. You know, he just when he preaches, he doesn't wear the suit and tie and things like that. You know, he just he just comes up there and he just wears you know a regular pair of pants and like a like a 
a Hawaiian shirt sometimes and things like that. And he's like, you know, in church, you know, we have we've got a coffee shop in the church, and we just all sit there. They don't have the pews. We've got these nice padded chairs, and and he just, they go and they've got a rock band, and uh, you know they'll have the concert and things. And he's just talking about all the fun stuff they do at that church, and didn't say nothing about you know the word of God and preaching. And I was like, I was like, yeah, our church we're not exactly like that. I said we're a little more old fashioned. I said I, I said I preach from the Bible. I said we preach against sin and things like that. And he was just like, yeah, he was like, yeah, our pastor never makes you feel bad or anything. And I'm thinking then, you're not going to church, you're going to a social club. It's like you're going to Starbucks. I mean, you know, you know, you're not going to get preached to there. You know, they always make you feel good. Some of them Starbucks workers are always so bubbly and happy and everything. It kind of drives me crazy. And, uh, but uh, my wife likes going there. But that's how that's what a lot of churches are like today. They're comfortable. But notice that even though they're comfortable, and even though this church was comfortable, even though they made God want to throw up, God still loved them. It says. And listen to what he says in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Chasten, it's punish. It's like, it's like a spanking. It said, I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door of your church and if somebody will invite me in, I'll come in. I'll fellowship with you. But notice, Jesus is not in this church. He's not, he is nowhere to be found in there. They're all on the inside. They're all talking about Jesus. They're all having a good time. But they're there without him. And you know, church is supposed to be all about him. And it's sad how many places today, and I hope this says never the case here, where we come to church and we do all we can to get people here, but we forget to invite the one person here that needs to be here more than any of us, including the guy preaching the message, and that is Jesus Christ. We need Him here in our services. We need to invite Him in. He stands at the door and He knocks. Some of you may have seen the picture before of Jesus Christ. He's standing at the door knocking. Do you have one in your house? Yeah, she's got one in her house. And you look at that picture... Yeah, there's no doorknob nope. on that door either. On the outside, there's no doorknob. It's on the inside. That's right. Because we have to let Him in. He doesn't force His way in. Just like He doesn't force us to get saved. And Jesus Christ, I believe, at all these churches, you know, lukewarm, there, uh, He's out there and He's standing on the door and He's knocking and saying, folks, I'd, I'd love to come in and fellowship with you. Folks, I'd love to come in. I'd love to get. I'd love to get to know you, folks. I'll have to save you, folks. But they're not opening the door because when Jesus comes in, it's going to shake things up a little bit. We might get a little bit uncomfortable for a while if we're doing wrong. It's like when you're when you were a kid, maybe when you were doing something that you weren't supposed to, and all of a sudden your parent walks in the room. You get that. You get that uncomfortable feeling. You know why? Because you know, hey, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And the truth is, the reason many people are not inviting Christ into the churches is because they know what's going on inside there He would not be pleased with. They know He's not going to be impressed by this demonic looking rock band up there jamming away in the service. They know they're not going to invite Him in for that. They don't want to know about that. Kids these days, when they're having their wild parties and things, they don't want mom and dad to know about it. They don't want mom and dad to show up at the house when that kind of thing is going on. 
That will bring conviction. They would ruin the whole party. I mean, think about it. Your kid's throwing a wild party at your house, doing all the stuff they're not supposed to, you know, drinking, smoking, doing drugs. I mean, all of that. Mom and dad, you're going to kill all the fun. And Jesus Christ, if He came into most churches today, He would destroy all the fun that they're having. But we're not here to have fun. This church isn't supposed to be another Disney World or a Six Flags or amusement park or a Starbucks or anything like that. We're supposed to be the house of God. We're supposed to come here where we can worship Him and where we can come and get messages from Him so we can get our lives right and so we can be better Christians. And this, and Jesus Christ, I believe today, He is knocking on the doors of churches all across America and folks are just ignoring it. They're not paying attention. They can't hear the knocking over the rock music that's going on in there. They can't hear, they can't hear it. And folks, we need to make sure that we're listening for that. We understand that He is, that He's at the door of our church every week. And I, and I wonder, has there ever been times we've been in here we've left Him out there? I hope it's a prayer of everyone in here. Every Sunday. Every, every time we're in the house, God say, just in, in your heart, say a little prayer. Say, Lord, I invite You in today. Lord, I want You to be a part of this service. Lord, I want You, I want you to speak through our pastor. Lord, I want You to have Your will and way done. Jesus Christ, He loved this church even though they were a mess. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. We don't. A lot of times, we don't associate punishment with love. Just for you know, kids, they don't look at parents punishing them as loving them. But truth is, it is loving them. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse six. Jesus said, uh, "said For whom the Lord loveth." He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? Hey, when we're getting punished by God, that ought to be that ought to bring joy to our hearts. Because you know what? God is treating us like one of his kids. You know what that means? It must be one of his. That's a good thing. That's that's uh, that shows that we're saved. I tell you, there's many reasons that I'm sure of my salvation. One of those is because God deals with me. God's chastened me many times. I know what that's like. And I thank God for that. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. That word be times just means over and over again. My parents, they chastened me be times. And I don't know how many. So I don't think there's an exact number. It just means a lot over and over again. And they did. I got chastened quite a bit, and I'm thankful for that. I wasn't then. No chastening seems pleasant. The president says in the Bible, but it is. Deuteronomy eight five. Thou should also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. God said, God said to Israel, so I'm going to punish you. You know why? You are my people. You are just like a father chasing his son. There's one verse that says, the son, a father chasing the son in whom he delighted. That, my children, I love my children. I, I take great pleasure in them. I enjoy being a father. And because I love them so much, they get chasing every now and then, don't you guys? <laughs> They they get chastened because I because I do I love them, and that's what the Bible says to do. But that's not comfortable. That's not 
what we like, but it is what we need. And what I believe <clears throat> that God wants to do, and that God uh, wants to do, and God's going to do when He shows up in a church, is He's going to what I call stir up the nest. Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verse eleven it says, "As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings." But that's talking about. They say the eagles when they build their nest, they put all kinds of thorns and sharp things in there, but then they cover it up with soft stuff. And then after the eagles start getting a little bigger, well, then eagles they're like they're like teenagers. They're lazy. They don't want to do anything. They just want to, they want to sit around the house and stay in the nest and be comfortable. And that eagle goes and it stirs it up a little bit. And all of a sudden, the thorns and things start poking through. And those birds, they, those little eagles, they can't get comfortable in there anymore. And all of a sudden, they're there on the edge of the nest and they're thinking, and they're, they're uncomfortable. They can't get relaxed like they were able to before. And they say sometimes that eagle might even, you know, they'll put those nests in a high place and they'll knock that little baby eagle off. It goes falling down. And the thing goes flapping like crazy, and it's you know not really accomplishing much. And that eagle swoops down and it picks up that little eagle, flies it back up, sets it up there again. The eagle it wants to go back to where it was comfortable before, but it's not comfortable there anymore. And it's there on the edge of the nest, and the mom knocks it off again, and it goes crazy, flapping around, not accomplishing a whole lot, doing its best but not doing anything. The eagle swoops down there until finally that little eagle learns how to fly, and that eagle finally learns how to. Go out its own. They teach, you know, they, they learn how to go and get their own food. They learn how to start doing those things. But before they'll do that, you gotta get them uncomfortable. And there's things that God wants us to do as individuals, things that God wants us to do as a church, but He sometimes has to stir the nest up first. Maybe bring some hard times in. Maybe that'll make, cause that's what motivates us. Maybe, I mean, who knows what it is, but God does. He likes, he likes to stir up the nest. And uh, there's been times in my life when I've been I've been comfortable, I've been just kind of fine with how things were. wasn't really looking for anything to change. It's like the Lord stirs up the nest, things get uncomfortable, and then kind of pushes me off to go try something again. But thank God He's with us the whole time. That mom, He doesn't knock it off the nest, let them fall to their death. Goes down there, protects them. And I tell you, there's been times in my life where I felt like I was that little eagle falling, I'm like we're. This is bad. But you know what the Lord He does? He picks us up and then we try again until we figure it out. And thank God He does that for us. We got we got to realize there is a danger in getting comfortable. I've heard people say, I'm looking for a church where I can be comfortable. And you know, I understand you know, I understand that to a certain extent. You know, I want to be. You know, I'm not going to be comfortable in the church where they're not preaching the word of God. I'm not going to be comfortable where. But when I hope. What, People, are, uh, what we ought to say is, I'm looking for a church where I'm going to get convicted, where I'm going to be challenged. And there's some things in the Bible, some verses that are kind of mean, that are kind of, they're kind of harsh. But you know what? Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need somebody to just kind of get in our face a little bit and just. Have you ever had a friend like that? You know, it's good when you have a friend that's close enough to you that cares about you enough that they'll tell you the truth. I'm thankful I've got friends like that. And Jesus is one of those friends. He'll tell us the truth. Have you ever looked in the mirror and you saw you had a booger on your face or something? You wonder how many people saw that and didn't say a word. And it's like, oh, they didn't want to make you feel bad. 
I, yeah, it'd have been embarrassing, but it's a whole lot better than letting everybody in town see it. And it's, that's, that's a bad experience. But so we need that. Even though it's not what we want to hear. And sometimes too, as a pastor, I'm going to preach things. It's not going to be what you want to hear. But sometimes it's what we need to hear. So I hope that's been a help. So let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.